Well, it is the end of an era, or at least by the end of the summer, it will be in Edmonton TV news. Not long after celebrating 30 years at the station, anchor Gord Steinke announced earlier this month that he's hanging up the microphone, so to speak, putting away the tie. Here he is announcing the news uh, on the news two weeks ago. Well, a big change is coming to Global News, but thankfully not for for several more months. Mm -hmm. And it involves uh, you, our very own Gord Steinke. Do you have something to tell us? Uh, Really? No. (laughs) What are you getting at? No, I I celebrated 30 years uh, a couple of months ago and the light kind of went off and we decided that uh, there's still many more things I want to do here. Uh, My bucket list is getting longer. So I thought, well, I can still get on a motorcycle. It's time to resign from Global Edmonton. And it's just been a wonderful 30 years here. The audience has been absolutely amazing. And the difficult part is 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 leaving you guys because mm-hmm. we always have so much fun down here and everybody up in the newsroom and in the control room and producer renee just said you know uh, we all worked together before we had gray hair <laughs> so i mean it's quite a family true, here but yeah. it just the timing feels right right now and I, i'd love to give somebody else a chance to sit here and have half the fun i've had in edmonton for for 30 years as always, well said, Gord Steinke. Uh, and that is one thing you notice right away. I've been watching sort of uh, the videos that were announcing his 2016 Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, that watching and listening to people talk about the impact he's had on the community, it goes so much beyond what might be called his day job. So to talk uh, community, news, metal, mobsters, motorcycles, much more, it is my pleasure to welcome Gord Steinke to the show. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Well, Ben, it's such a pleasure to, to be joining you here tonight as well. It's uh, and you've got great taste in music. It's a catchy tune. There, I, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. <laughs> if you knew how long and hard I looked to find something off that Larger Than Life album by Inner City from '82. Oh wow! And yeah. I couldn't. So I got to run, which is you. Uh, was what we introed this whole segment with. Oh, that's great. It's great that you've had that. Uh, well, it really was your first career, wasn't it? Yeah, that was my first love, and I was on the road for seven years in a, in a rock band out of uh, Saskatoon, and that was when I got out of high school, and, and it took me all the way to Toronto, and I just had a wonderful uh, experience there, but uh, as I'm sure you know, you've heard the story, you're on the road for that long. We did an album, it was called Larger Than Life, and it went across the country faster than the band did, and then came back, and nothing really sold, so uh, uh, I decided to get in, get try to get a real career, and, and as, as a storyteller and a songwriter... Um, it all seemed to be the same, and journalism just seemed to be the next best thing. And was it ever a perfect fit for me? I had it just, it just, I just embraced it. Just loved meeting people and telling their stories. I was going to ask you that because after seven years, my dad was in the music business, sort of booking bands. Oh, cool. Actually, that's what he did. Um, so when you talk really? about sort of touring through all those bars in Quebec and Ontario, I, I, I get, yeah. I, I can picture some of those places. It must have been a strange. It must have been odd to leave that and find yourself back in a classroom, no matter how much oh, you liked it. That's uh, that was the hardest part because you go from that's all I knew, like out through high school and out, and then and then like you said, you're on the road. We're backing up bands and and uh, meeting some of your heroes, and and you're playing, and and you get a following going, and you think that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life, and then you realize, oh, this this you know you you hear the horror stories too, and it's tough just uh, being alone and being in a hotel room. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's a very strange transition when I went from that and I cut my hair and I didn't even know how to tie a tie and ended up in a sociology class at the university of Regina, which was the precursor to getting into J school. And I didn't even know if I was going to, you know, at, at 24 years old, I wasn't even sure if I had enough in my brain power to get through some of these like ec- economics. Are you kidding me? 
but um, it was so much fun. It was like a breath of fresh air. It was such a different change and a challenge that I just embraced it. And uh, yeah, and, and here I can't believe that we're talking that that was 36 years ago. It's kind of crazy. It does fly by, doesn't it? You know, that line yeah, about it, everyone having gray hair. I mean, I mean, I started off a little bit later than you did, but man, does it go fast. Oh, it, it's it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, my career took me from, uh, I was a photographer after I got a J school um, as a, a photographer back when we had to develop film in a lab for the Regina Leader Post. And I was, I was a feature writer for the, you know, I started in print and then I worked my way into radio, which I loved and thought I'd never leave. And then I ended up in television just all by fluke, really, just because, People believed in me, and they just thought, well, if you learn how to tie a tie, we'll put you on television, and why don't you try reporting? And and I was saying things like, well, I like working in radio better because I can tell longer stories, and the, and the clips are longer, and, and I can do more stuff. You know, you don't have to lug around a camp with a cameraman and in a van. And anyway, I just uh, I, I just found the power of television just kind of gripped me, and that I did that for a while working at CBC Regina in, in uh that's back in 1988, right. and then went down to Minneapolis on an ABC affiliate there for a, an all-news channel, which was really exciting because they yeah, did everything was, live. You could go out in the yeah, field and do it live. Because they were so much ahead of, of – when they were, they were really where TV was going by 1988. It was live. It was oh. fast. It was all the things that TV in Canada was about to become. That must have been a really exciting experience to be in, in Minneapolis at that point. Well, it was, and, and the – it was such a such a thrill to be down there because I I, I was lucky at CBC because they'd uh, put me into every role I possibly could do. So I'd done entertainment, I'd done hard news, I'd anchored uh, newscasts. So I think that's why they wanted to take me down. But when I got there, I just wasn't ready, you know, for how fast moving everything was going. They had it was called Conus Communications, and it had uh, satellite trucks all over the world. And as long as you could get a clear hit from anywhere uh, with a satellite, you you could be broadcasting live. So it was a bit of a mind blower for a guy from Saskatchewan at that time who, you know what it was like, you know, you had to do an intro and then you had to drive the tape back and then you gave it to an editor. And um, it was a long process. It was live television. The only thing that was live was in this news studio like we do now every night. So, yeah, Yeah. it was quite a a thrill. And uh, some of the stories we were covering – the Jeffrey Dahmer trial, Manuel Noriega, right. of course, first Gulf War, and and you know watching Scud missiles going into Baghdad and Iraq from where we were sitting in Minneapolis, and broadcasting with this all news channel all over the world and into Los Angeles and New York. It was quite a, it was quite a thing. But I had wonderful people down there, and also had some family which helped. I lived with my grandmother. Oh, fantastic. So I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of fun. I hadn't seen her in years, so I stayed with her until my wife and daughter could come down for a few months. And uh, that was weird because she'd go to bed at 8 o'clock with her dog, Sugar, and I'd be I'd get home at about 2 in the morning. And it was just kind of funny, but it was it was just wonderful. So, and, and then from that, because, I mean, I guess Minneapolis is a pretty big market in the U.S. That's a great job. Uh, but then Edmonton came calling. And, and and you decided, okay, I, I'm going to go do that. What, what made you make that decision? I spent some time in Edmonton as a kid. It's a great place. Uh, but what made you decide? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to. That, that sounds good to me. Well, it's it's going to probably sound a little bit weird. It was back when uh, the first Bush was there, and uh, Senator Durenberger uh, was there. They, there was a, a move. They didn't like to. I was down there for four years. They didn't like to have Canadians taking American jobs. So my visa became to be in jeopardy, and my wife and daughter weren't allowed to work 
down there. Well, my daughter was just in uh, elementary school at the time. But um, we also realized, you know, we're only 400 miles, I think it was, from, the, from like the border. But we couldn't get uh, any Canadian news. And that was during the, the Oka uprising and stuff. But there was no Internet. There were no cell phones. And it was like we were completely cut off from Canada. So a, a bunch of things piled up, but it was really homesickness. And we thought, you know, it's been a real good experience here, but we're kind of homesick. Let's, you know, I got the, the offer through actually a, a talent coach who said, would you be interested in going back to Canada? There's an opening in Edmonton uh, for a six o'clock anchor reporter. And I said, would I? Let's, let's give it a go and learn if I didn't get the job. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. Uh, and what other, a history other, it's been. Yeah. yeah, and the other funny thing, you know, this is what I became. I, I actually got a ham radio. I got so frustrated down there. This is in 88, 89, 89. Right. I bought a ham radio through a military friend, <laughs> and I got, I got CBC News out of Johannesburg, South Africa, just to find out what the heck's going on 400 miles from where I was sitting. It was just weird. <laughs> I mean, I remember being away in the late '80s. You know, you couldn't get any Canadian news anywhere. It was it, you're, I can I can only imagine how frustrating it would be being so close. Because one thing, Minnesota is being kind of yeah, yeah. I worked with Harvard graduates and another uh, fellow I won't name names from from mm-hmm. Princeton, and I won't another name. I had great co-anchors <laughs> down there too. But I remember one time a co-anchor looked at me and she goes, "I went to Vancouver, and what a beautiful city!" And you know what? She said they've got skyscrapers, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god." They knew nothing about the history or anything about Canada and still, you know, the, the, the old cliche about them showing up at the border at customs with skis on the roof rack in July really hits home. But it's changed now because of the Internet, and I hope it's changed anyway. They're a little bit more educated about what we do here. I'm just too proud to be a Canadian to, I don't know, I just love it here, the history and yeah. everything about it. I'm speaking with Gord Steinke, uh, Global Edmonton's anchor, uh, calling it uh, calling it a day, so to speak, after after 30 yeah. years there. But I, I'm sure you have. We'll take a quick break when we come back. I really, you know, I, I really want to ask you. But all there's so much to cover in 30 years. But you've done so much, and and your attachment to the community is the thing that comes through watching all the different tributes to you and so on. So I want to ask you, but having to uh, walk away from that as well. I'm sure you'll continue some of that work, but we'll. Be back with Gord Steinke right after this. We get music and stories from Global Edmonton anchor Gord Steinke tonight. Uh, I, I was—it was actually fun to watch all your videos. To be honest, that was uh, that was great. It's uh, it was fun to hear the tunes as well. Oh, you know, and I should mention you know that song you just heard. My best buddy, I've been playing with him since 1978. That's Randy Rink. Uh, he's well known in Canadian music circles. He uh, he played. He was Shane Yellowbird's uh, guitar player for many, many years. And unfortunately, Shane just uh, passed away at the age of 42. So we've lost quite a a great uh, country singer-songwriter. And uh, I had the fortunate pleasure to meet him a few times. Just the nicest guy. But I just thought I'd throw that in because Randy's been uh, a big part of my music as well. Yeah, I was reading about that yesterday. That was really sad. He was young, just 42, I think. eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's quite tragic. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me. I mean, you, you've you've met so many people over the years doing the job. What 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 do you find uh, has been mm-hmm. the greatest gift of being being the global Edmonton anchor for this time? Well, there's there's so much, and I'd have I'd have to think that uh, first off, as as uh, a journalist, you know, in storytelling, I'm lucky to be. The greatest gift is I've worked in many other newsrooms. This newsroom was is su- super uh, tight. And very, uh, 
team oriented. You know, there's no, you know, so, you know, I know you've been in many newsrooms yourself and worked in TV and radio news. And some of those newsrooms can be quite competitive, even amongst reporters. Ours has never been that way. We all work together, uh, even the studio crew and everybody's just together to put the best, you know, share sources and make sure everything's going. So that's been a real treat to work over the years because there's been a whole changing a cycle of people, of course, as they move on. But uh, I guess the biggest thing has just been in this community is one of the most generous communities I've ever been in um, with the motorcycle community and things like that. They just, uh, people just step forward. If it's whether the cause is diabetes or kids with cancer or whatever it is, this, this place really steps up to the plate and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars get raised for these charities. And I don't know why that is. It's, it's just fun to think, you know, to be a part of that and to spearhead it and give these uh, charities such a, a little bit of a boost or do whatever you can. Yeah, that was really interesting because I know when when we all start out in this business, we really start out as news people, right? That's what you are. You're right. a news yeah. person. And then over time, I, I, I just watching how, how did you become involved with the charities? And obviously they mean a lot to you and it became a really important part of who you were and the job you did. It wasn't just reading yeah. the news, it was being part of this community. How did that evolve uh, over time for you? Well, it just sort of, it, the way I pick charities is um, sort of something that's, and this is what I would pass along to the guy who, or gal, whoever takes over from what I've been doing, is pick a charity that's close to your heart and has some kind of personal connection because uh, you've really become passionate about it and people can tell you're involved and, and it's also very rewarding. It's kind of selfish, actually. I, I could pick a charity, say, Ride for Dad for Prostate Cancer and say, I'm Uncle Bob and my Uncle Don right now. They're prostate cancer survivors. So I got on board with that. And also, selfishly, I love to ride motorcycles. So I would, <laughs> right. hey, what a great date. What a great deal. I, I get to go out Saturday morning and lead 1,200 bikers down to Drayton Valley and Red Deer and back again. So that's, that's, that's really important. Also, unfortunately, my sister was killed by a drunk driver. And I got on board with that uh, to go into schools and talk about the dangers of drinking and driving. So things that sort of really hit home, I think that's important. Yeah, I understand that also brought you back to music too. That was one of the things yeah. that sort of brought you back to music was, was the death year. And my condolences, even all this time later, it still must be difficult to talk about. Oh, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, she's, it's like she's still here, but uh, you know what it's like? That's just when you lose someone that young. It's just the way it is. But yeah, she was one of my biggest music fans. I mean, they travel out to see the band too in Ontario from out here. And, and so I put a, together a record, wrote the songs, got my good friends got back into recording and had a riot doing it and then took the money and put it into what was called the party program to raise awareness in high school so that kind of a thing just seems to be a way to go for me anyway because you just have such close ties to the community then and and those and those charities those have been things i've been doing for 30 years and i'm sure i'll continue to be in, involved with them because you get to know the people so well like family and the little kids with cancer we put them on the back of our motorcycles in may and drive them around Horlack Park, and they're just the toughest, most courageous, funniest kids. They're, it's amazing. They're on the back of the bike asking you to go a little faster and telling you what their cancer is. And the good news, the rewarding thing, I love this part, is the kids, uh, when I started, you wouldn't see the kids come back. Unfortunately, you know, they didn't have the treatment. Now, starting to see the same kids come back year after year. So that's a really positive step in the fight against cancer. Absolutely. I, I know that storytelling has always been your passion. So I suspect what comes next for you will involve some form of storytelling that continues. But do you have an idea of what lies ahead? You talked about your bucket list and things you wanted to do, but what comes next for you, Gordon? 
Well, it's almost like uh, my wife, Deb, and I have been uh, thinking there's motorcycle rides we want to do. And, and the big one is uh, get over to Spain and then go across into Morocco. You can take a ferry across. So that'll be exciting. But I hope to do um, some more speaking engagements and things. I've, I've got a couple of offers stateside, funny enough. So I'll probably end up doing that. Uh, Mob Museum, I wrote a book called Mobsters and Rum Runners. So the Mob Museum in, in Las Vegas is uh, a big supporter. And little things like that. And also just spend more time with family. You know what? You know what? Like working in TV, everything is dictated to the second. And I can't wait just to have a day where I don't have to keep looking at the second hand on the clock to know where I'm going to be and, you know, what you have to do. Because that's, I think that's got to affect your, uh, your well-being. So I'm looking for a break from that where I, you know, I go, oh, geez, the day went by and I didn't look at a clock once. That'll be different. It's, it will be different. Was it a tough choice? Was it a tough decision? It, it, it must always be a bit of a tough decision, but it, it seems to me just watching how you described it, that it felt like the time was right. Yeah, the time was right. I think, uh, you know, the pandemic has been a real grind. It's sort of been every day. It's been like Groundhog Day. Every day has been exactly kind of the same. And our camera guys are roving around uh, the town. They're, you know, we still, people still aren't allowed in the station. We're still getting tested. Very skeleton crew. It's getting a little bit better. But, you know, it's, uh, that's all going to change and come back. But, yeah, I just thought, you know, I'd like to just see what else, just get away from the rat race a bit. And it's such a whirlwind, the news every day. And uh, we can do it. My goal always was kind of, I'm 63 years old, so it gives me like two years. I, I can trick myself into saying, hey, that's like an early retirement. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I only have about a, you know what it's like, I only have about a minute. I'm watching a clock now, thinking about you talking about clocks. Oh, yeah. Um, one great yeah. memory, one great, your, what, what, your one stellar memory. I have a few, but what is your stellar memory of all well, this when you look back at it? Well, it, that's hard. You know, there, there's the real hardcore news guy would say it was being in the Fort McMurray wildfires at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And being in a ditch in the RCMP and getting ready to broadcast live in the six and, and the technology that we could do. I thought back to my old days with a satellite truck. And here we are, <laughs> excuse me, in uh, 20 minutes. Well, the fire was right coming at us. The RCMP comes down and my cameraman and I are sitting in a ditch ready to go. And they said, wow. you guys better move. The, the wind just shifted and the flames are coming towards you. So you could see the smoke. But here's the cool thing is we were able to go 20 miles down the road. Not even that set up in the ditch and i don't even think we missed our hit at six o'clock we were still able to, <laughs> that's, and that's that's just with my cameraman paul and me and a thing called DeGero, and we could broadcast from anywhere so that's come that's a long a great, way from a big big old truck it it, it certainly has gord Stakey, thank you th so much for sharing that with us uh best of luck i look forward to hearing updates from uh from your motorcycle trip <laughs> right on well thanks so much it's been a pleasure ben